as we finish off this series today, I wanted to uh, just start by uh, giving you a little story, something that happened to us last Sunday night. Um, so uh, after church, we went home, had our, uh, had our Sunday lunch, took some naps, and then uh, woke up in the afternoon, went and got some ice cream, and then on the way home, uh, we just needed to get some groceries. And so we went to the grocery store, and we went to a grocery store that we don't normally go to. It's our old grocery store that I used to love, and then we moved, and then I lost that grocery store because we cannot drive more than five minutes to go to a grocery store, right? So we went to our, our old grocery store, and as we walk in there, uh, get the, the little shopping cart, and then my son, as he walks in, looks to the right, and he sees kids' shopping carts. He has this habit of he loves to push things and pull things. If you are, ever have luggage and my son is around, it's like that luggage is no longer yours. He is going to want it and pull it around forever. And so he saw these carts and suddenly he just got all excited. And, and I don't know if you've seen any of these carts. They're like really, they're like, like normal, regular shopping carts. They're just really small and they got a little flag that says customer in training. And so they're the super cute. They're really cute. And so, so he gets it and he starts pushing it and, and, and everything while we're shopping. It's good because then it can keep him occupied. Well, as my wife is going around the produce section getting some stuff, I'm looking at my son. I'm like, what is he doing? And he's getting this cart and he pushes it over to some of the pro, pro, where the produce is. And he's like, he's trying to like touch some of the stuff. And I'm like, what is he doing? He's never done that before. And he's, he's touching. He gets frustrated. So he gets the cart and he moves over where there's some milk and he's trying to pick up this milk. I'm like, what are you doing? We don't even get that milk. Why are you even trying to get this? And then he gets frustrated and he goes on and he, he walks on. And uh, then we get to the little deli uh, area and the counter at the deli area is just his height. And so it's where like the pro- processed meat is and all that. Well, he comes over and he parks his cart right next to the bacon and he gets his hand right in and he pulls out the biggest uh, package of bacon you can imagine and he puts it in his cart. I'm like, whoa, you want some bacon? Well, then he goes back and he gets another lot of bacon and he puts it in his cart. Then he went back a third time and he pulls up this bacon and I'm serious, it's like like five pounds of bacon and he puts it in his cart and I'm like, I'm like, son, do you want bacon tonight? And then he decides and he moves on and he starts moving on and then he sees some chips and he grabs over some chips, puts them in his cart. Then he sees a packet of donuts and he's like, oh, I think I'll have some of those. He gets the donuts, puts them in his cart and suddenly I start laughing because I'm like, what is he doing? doing. He hasn't even got a smile on his face. He is serious. He is meaning serious business. I mean, bacon, chips, and donuts, come on. And then he moves over and he goes right up to the fish counter where the lady is behind the fish counter. And he looks up and he just starts pointing at the fish. I'm like, this kid is pretty clever. Then we keep moving down one of the other aisles and then he goes and he gets the, the biggest bag of rice you can imagine. He could not even lift it up. He was uh, like this, trying to put it in his cart. Then he went over and he got a big can of coffee, put it in his cart, and then he went back and got coffee filters. I'm like, wow, this kid is smart. Then he goes down the, 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 the uh, cereal aisle and every packet of cereal possible ends up in his cart. So as he's putting stuff in, we are taking things out. We start 
laughing our heads off because it is the funniest thing ever. And then he does this one thing. We get to this one big open area and he's pushing it. And suddenly he looks over, he sees something that he wants, he leaves the cart right in the middle of the walkway, and he walks over to get what he wants, gets it, and comes back. And I start roaring with laughter because I look at my wife and I say, who does that? Because she has this bad habit of when she's shopping, leaving the cart right in the middle where everybody else will have to try to navigate around to go and get stuff. And we start laughing because this kid has been shopping with his mom so much, he knows the drill. He is imitating his mom. He is copying his mother. He is doing everything that she does. And he thinks, well, this is what we do when we go to the grocery store. And it was so funny because for the first time, I saw a a little human being who was copying somebody who he looked up to and uh, and and I realized wow is this what you do when you come to the grocery store and I ask you today in your life when you are going about your life your everyday life who are you imitating when people look at you what do people say who do people see when they actually see you and look at you Let me ask you, do they see the attributes of Jesus when they see you and they look at you? See, I've heard people on many occasions say this phrase. They say that they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the church. Or they follow Jesus, but they don't follow organized religion. And I have such a hard time when people say things like that because the church was actually created by Jesus. So if you follow Jesus, then you also need to be part of church because the church was, was the vehicle that Jesus used to reach a lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But also the church should also look like Jesus and they should imitate Jesus. The church should be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so if people are saying that, then then there is something obviously missing when people are attracted to Jesus, but they're not attracted to the church of Jesus. Because like my son in a supermarket copies his mother, so we as Christians, we also should copy Jesus and the way that Jesus lived his life. Many of you have heard of the name Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi was one of the most famous people who has ever lived. He was a man of, of peace and he was a man many people looked up to. He was a Hindu who lived in India. And what many people don't realize is that he spent some time in Durban, South Africa. And while he was in Durban, South Africa, Gandhi started to read the New Testament. And as he started to read the New Testament, he was so impressed with the words and the lifestyle and the teachings of Jesus that Gandhi was on the verge of committing his life to Jesus Christ, denouncing his Hindu religion and following the teachings of Jesus and becoming a Christian. But before he did that, Gandhi decided to take a look at how the Christians that were around him lived their lives. To see if the, 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 the sayings of Jesus and, 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 the, and what Jesus says was actually true. And so he started to study a church called the Dutch Reformed Church. And as he started to study this church and look at the people of this church, uh, these groups of churches... He started to see that there was something different. 
He started to see that their lifestyles did not match up to the teachings of Jesus. And the way that Jesus lived his life did not match up to the way that they lived their life. And following that, Gandhi made a statement which has become a famous statement, a famous phrase that he used. And this is what Mahatma Gandhi said. He said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And when I hear this, my first instinct is I get offended because he's talking about me. And, and, and I think, Gandhi, you, you just started to look at a small pocket of Christians. If you had really seen the, the whole the, the scope of Christianity, or people from different nations and different races and, and different ones who believed in Jesus, you would have seen that maybe these people were just, just a small bit who, who weren't living the life of Je- that Jesus would have had us live. But what happened is Gandhi got so turned off by Christianity that he went and continued in his his Hindi, Hindu faith, and he rejected the claims of Jesus Christ because of it. And I wonder what this world would be like if somebody like Mahatma Gandhi had given his life to Jesus Christ. I wonder the influence he could have had. And while I believe that Gandhi still probably had a misconception about Jesus, because the fact was Jesus was God in human flesh, and Jesus was the only perfect man who ever lived, and there's no way that we can live up to the standard of Jesus, he still saw that there was a misunderstanding or there was a a misalignment between the lives of the people he studied and the teachings of Jesus. And when one day Gandhi will stand before the throne room of God, before the throne of God, and he will be judged by God. The Bible tells us that we will be judged by God. And, and, and because Gandhi did not give his life to Jesus or follow Jesus, then God will say to Gandhi, depart from me for I never knew you. And I just wonder, I have this picture in my mind of Gandhi walking away from the gates of heaven because he has not been granted access. And on the way, he looks at the people at the Dutch Reformed Church. And I wonder if he says, because of you, I rejected Christ. Yeah, I just have this image of, of, of that conversation happening. And this is the reality is that if you are a believer of Jesus Christ today, you do not know who is watching you. Which is why we need to be careful about imitating Christ in our lives. That we are becoming more and more like Christ. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, he said this. He says, imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Imitate God in everything that you do. That's what the Apostle Paul said. And then one of Jesus' disciples by the name of John, John said this in 1 John 2, 6. He said, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. They should live their lives as Jesus did. We are mandated with living our lives like Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that the next time you go to a wedding, you become the most popular person in the wedding. 
and you go turn all the water into great wine. It doesn't mean that you go try to find yourself a leper and go to try to heal that leper. It doesn't mean you go to the local Jewish temple and you go in there and start turning the tables in there. It doesn't mean that you do the exact same things as Jesus physically did. But what it means is that we should talk like Jesus talked. We should have a heart of compassion like Jesus. We should show grace like Jesus. We should be full of forgiveness like Jesus. It means that we should be transformed by the love of Jesus and be an example of Jesus to other people. You do not know who is watching you. And let me tell you, people are watching you. In fact, your influence on those who do not know Christ is far greater than you possibly understand. That is why you need to imitate Christ. And if you can imitate Christ, you can have a positive impact on people's lives. But if your life does not imitate Christ, then it can also have a negative impact on other people's lives. Several months ago, I got word of a email chain that had happened with some people that I knew. They were not believers of Jesus. And there'd been a group of friends, and we'd all been friends. And somebody in this group of friends who we thought we could trust and that they were, you know, always looking out for our best interests. They had been sending emails to somebody else, giving a very false impression of some other people in that group. They had actually said some pretty harmful, hurtful things, things that I never thought that that person could ever see. say. I didn't even realize it was in that person. And they had, had uh, given the opinion to someone else that these other people, they were nasty, horrible people. And just by accident, these emails came out. And everybody in this group got vastly offended and upset. And I was not named in these emails, but I was close to to these people. And I was hurt. I was hurt that somebody I'd known for over six years, who, who I never thought that was within them to say such things about somebody else, they had said it. And I got hurt myself. In fact, I got so offended by what this person had said, I decided I did not want to be in friendship with this person anymore. And so I decided to alienate myself from this person because my, my rationale was, well, this person must be like a cancer and that they must be like somebody who, who, who says bad things behind your back. You don't want to be around people like that. And in my self-righteous kind of way at that time, I thought I was doing the right thing. I look back at that episode now and even nobody said I was in the wrong and maybe even some people may have patted me on the back at that time. I look now and I realize I did not act as Christ would have acted. See, we like to judge people, but Christ likes to forgive. We like to say what we really think about people. Christ likes to extend grace. And I realized that I was in a position, I was the only Christian in that group of, uh, of those emails. And everybody knew, not just I was a Christian, but I was a pastor. 
And, and I know that my responsibility should not have been to act out of being upset or in anger, even though that's often our natural instinct. My response should have been about making peace. My response should have been about showing grace. My response should have been about reconciling relationships, but I didn't do it. And I look back on that situation now and I have to wonder, did I show Christ? And I'm like, no, I didn't show Christ. And how will that affect somebody else? And I don't even feel guilt about that, but I do realize that next time something like that happens, I need to be a little more graceful to people. And I would be distraught in my life if people rejected Christ because they did not see Christ in me. Because they knew I was an example of Jesus Christ, but they did not see the heart of Christ. And people are following, people are looking at you and they are watching you. And I wonder how many people are following Christ because of your life. Or I wonder how many people, just like Mahatma Gandhi, will say, I rejected Christ because of your life. Last week, we discussed the church at Corinth. There was a church in the city of Corinth, which was this cosmopolitan city that uh, had lots of issues in the city. It was filled with idol worship and lewdness. It was charged sexually, and there was an antichrist feel about this city. And this church was right in the middle of this city and this environment. And this church had its issues, but Paul said to this church, he said that you need to stand out from the crowd and you need to live like Christ so others can see Christ in you. And so this morning I want to share very quickly with you just four things that the Apostle Paul says to this church at Corinth so that they can start to understand that they need to imitate God and they need to be like God. And the first thing he says is this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 11. He says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Here, Paul is basically saying this. He says that you are the mouthpiece of Christ. You are the mouthpiece of Christ. When you speak, people are hearing the words of Christ through you. Many years ago, I was involved in a car accident where I was driving down the road one day and a city bus came right through a stop sign and plowed right into the side of me. It was a very pleasant experience and uh, luckily I didn't have any long-standing injuries, I don't think, anyway. And uh, we thought it was a foregone conclusion that, you know, the bus company was going to give us, you know, money to pay for our vehicle while we discovered that the bus company denied liability on this thing. They said that, that uh, uh, he had stopped at the stop sign and I had been speeding. There's no way I'd been speeding as there were like speed bumps along that road. 
And it took about 18 months of my insurance company tried to speak with the insurance company of the bus company. And, uh, and, and they were denying liability and my insurance company were going after them. So they decided to take some legal action. And so they hired themselves a lawyer, and uh, the lawyers took care of it, and uh, they, they, they gave us a court date, and one day I had to turn up at court. Now, in the British law system, it's a little different to the American law system, where there are two types of lawyers. There is one that is called a solicitor who just practices law, and then there is a barrister who is the one who actually goes into the courtroom and argues on your behalf before the judge. A solicitor doesn't do that, only a barrister does. So often a solicitor hires a barrister to go into the courtroom for it. And so I turn up to this courtroom this one day, and I am introduced to this lady who says that, I am, that she is my barrister. And she says, like, we'll take care of everything. We'll make sure that you get your money back and that all the damages are paid for. Well, she started talking to me about my case, and it seemed like she knew more about the case than I did. She had all the facts laid out. She had everything that she needed. She, she, she knew everything that happened to the minute. She'd been out taking photographs and everything. She knew all about this case. And we walked into that courtroom that day, and she started to talk on my behalf. And as she started to talk on my behalf, I was amazed at how well she was able to explain what happened even better than what I could even explain. And after she finished explaining what happened, the judge looked at the lawyer from the bus company, and she scolded him, and she says, why have you even brought this into the courtroom to waste my time, to waste this young man's time, pay up and give the money? And I came out of that courtroom, and I was amazed that, wow, it was easy. I thought I was going to like put on the stand, put it on like a polygraph or something. No, it was easy. Why? Because this lady, she had the facts. She was able to explain exactly what happened. And in the same way, Paul is saying to us that we need to be able to explain and give an account for Jesus Christ. And I ask you today, if someone asks you to give you an argument for the case of Christ, would you be able to do it? Would you be able to give an argument for the case for Jesus Christ? Paul tells the Corinth church that together as a church, we are to work hard to develop an understanding so that we can persuade others for Jesus Christ. Notice here, I love what Paul said. He says that others have a spectacular ministry. Basically, others have this fancy kind of church that that maybe others are like flocking to and, and everybody's excited about it. But he says they haven't got a good argument, but we have a sincere ministry. He says that our ministry is sincere because it is out of truth and out of love. 1 Peter verses 5, 15 to 16 says, And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. I'm always challenged by that. That if someone asks me about Christ, am I ready to give a response? And is my life an example to others that I belong to Christ? 
Are you able to be a mouthpiece for Christ just like that barrister was a mouthpiece for me that day? Are you able to simply and sincerely tell others about the hope of Christ in you? Second thing Paul tells us is that we not just are his mouthpiece, but we are his heart. We are the heart of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verses uh, 14 to 16, it says, Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for us all, we also believe that we have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought Christ uh, of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. When we imitate Christ, we start to see people a little differently. Where once we judge people, now we start having compassion on people. Where once we showed anger, we start to show grace. Where once we misunderstood, we now start to understand a little better. Paul says here, we have stopped evaluating people from a human point of view. For he knew he needed to see people with the heart of Christ, not with the eyes of Paul. Every Sunday morning before church starts, uh, uh, I go through my, my, my message that we're going to talk about. And I, and I go through a time of prayer. And this is my prayer every Sunday morning. Lord, let me see people with your heart, not with the eyes of Alex. Because when we start seeing people with our own eyes, we start seeing people in a different light. But when we start seeing people with the heart of Christ, we start to have compassion and love and grace for other people. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example and you must follow his steps. See, when we have the heart of Christ... We do things not out of our own selfish ambition. But now we live life in tune with the heartbeat of Christ. And when we see hurting people who have lost their way, our heart starts beating a little faster. Because our heart is in tune with the heartbeat of Christ. Several months ago at the beginning of the year, I had a young man come to me and been going through a hard time and he confessed to me to just a a really just a sin that had gripped his life and uh, as we talked through it he thought I was going to judge him and I didn't because I totally understood kind of the things that he was going through and and we just started talking about just some of the things he can do in his life so he can step out of the snare of that sin and come into a free life in Christ so we started talking about it and then A couple of months after that, I was shocked because I was there in a group of people. We're having a conversation and he started talking about the sin of somebody else and how it was so wrong. And how that person did not deserve the the, the place that they were at because they were in this sin. And he started judging this person. And I'm sitting there and I'm standing there and I want to scream out, hey, dude, you better shut up for a moment because... 
Have you checked that big old plank in your eye? I didn't. But I thought, wow, there is somebody who Christ is showing his grace to. But he's not extending grace to others. He's not showing the heartbeat of Christ. And when you have the heart of Christ, grace is your first reaction. And love is your first response. Grace is your first reaction. Love is your first response. The third thing that Paul says to these Corinthian believers, he says that we are his transformation. We are his transformation. Verse 17 to 19, it says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And Christ has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. He gave this wonderful message of reconciliation. The day you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you woke up that day lost on this journey of life. You woke up far away from God. You had a death sentence hanging over your head. And you were a total dirty mess. You may not have realized it at the time, but now you probably do realize it. Then you had that day when you met Christ. And suddenly you had purpose behind life. Then you found yourselves in the arms of God. You had been pardoned from your sin. You had been given freedom. And then finally, you were given a spiritual wash. You were put on new clothes. And you were transformed into a new person. You were the ultimate spiritual makeover. And when that happened, heaven gasped with joy. Just like you see on some of these TV shows. Everyone's like, that person really could look like that. Heaven gasped with joy when God transformed you. Did you know that you are a walking, breathing, living miracle of God? A walking, breathing miracle of God that this world needs to hear about and this world needs to to see. Now it is your responsibility to show the world that the miracle that God has done in your life. We need to tell the world of the transformation that God has done. Show the world the old pictures of your life and so that people will say, wow, how did that ever happen? I I renewed my driver's license a couple of years ago and I was so sad because my old picture was a terrible old picture. I used to call it my fat picture. My face was like this big and nobody actually really knew it was me. Sometimes people were looking like, what? And it showed a transformation that happened to me about eight years ago when I decided to do the Wii Fit and I lost 50 pounds. Hey, I'm serious, the Wii Fit. And people can't believe that. They're like, wow, what did you do? How did you do it? I'm like, it's all about the Wii Fit and tomato sandwiches. That was it as well. But I used to tell people, and now when I meet like people I, who I know don't know Christ, I start to talk to them about my old life. Some of my party days and some of the things I did in, in my days. And they're like, Alex, you never did that stuff. I'm like, I did. And they can't believe it. Why? Because I want to show people the transformation that has happened in my life. Yeah, I've got a past. 
and it doesn't affect my future, but I use it to help people understand the transformation that happens with Christ. And as a follower of Christ, one of your roles is to reconcile people to Christ, bring people back to Christ, meaning to restore friendships and and bring people back into harmony with God. And it is your transformation that will make it happen. Did you know you are a masterpiece of Christ and you are not to be hung in a museum, but you are to go on tour for the world to see because you are a living, breathing miracle of Christ. You are his transformation. And then very quickly and finally today, you are his ambassadors. You are his ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 to 21, it says, We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Every country has what is called ambassadors. They are sent to live in another country to live and work. And their job is to speak on behalf of their government in the matters of a state concerning the relationships of those, uh, of those countries. The ambassador's word is seen as directly coming from the president, the king or the prime minister or whoever the ruler is of that country. They are an example of that country. And the best ambassadors are the ones who help create stronger relationships. They keep the peace. They show the world that their country is a wonderful place to live, but also keep the values of their nation as well. And Paul tells these Corinthian believers, in the same way a country has ambassadors who speak for them, so you are the ambassadors of Christ when you go out into your workplace or your school or amongst your friends or your family. You are the ambassadors for Christ when you step foot into the office or you walk the halls of the schools. When, 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 when you gather for Thanksgiving dinner or get together at Christmas or have a Labor Day cookout. You are the ambassadors for Christ. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, he says, and you should imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul spent his life trying to be a good ambassador for Christ so that others could see him and follow him and and, and they could see what he was doing. Paul is basically saying that when you go out into the world, when you talk, when you live, when you do things, whatever you do, you are doing it as an example of Christ. Just like little Evan was shopping just like his mother. Are you living life like Christ lived his life? As I've studied this sermon today, I've really seriously been challenged and convicted about my own life. I've wondered, have I acted as a good mouthpiece for Christ? Have I said some things that maybe Christ would not have been pleased with? Has my heart beat with Christ's heart? Have I honestly seen people through the heart of Christ instead of the eyes of Alex? 
I've really challenged myself and, and wondered, have I really shown the world the true transformation that God has done in me? That I am now born again in the Spirit of God. Do my friends and my co-workers and my family, do they see that? I've wondered, have I been a trusting ambassador for Christ? I wonder if the Dutch, the people of the Dutch Reformed Church in Durban, South Africa, had understood the true meaning behind being ambassadors for Christ. I wonder, I just wonder, if Mahatma Gandhi would have lived a very different life accepting that Jesus was his savior. And what will people say about you one day because of the way that you lived? Will people look at you and say, because of you, because of the way that you lived, I followed Christ. Will they say, because of you, because you showed the example of Jesus, I found my way. Will they say because of you, because you are a great example of who Jesus really is, I was born again of the Spirit of God. Will people say because of you and your example, I dive deeper into my faith? Or will people say because of you, I rejected Christ? Because of you, I never saw Christ. Because of you, I never heard about the love of a Savior. I know what I want people to say about me that day when we all meet in heaven and there's people there that I may never expect it. And they say, Alex, because of the example that you've shown, you are a great ambassador for Christ. And I decided to give my life to Christ and now I'm here. I would love that to be the case. But I know that God has to do a lot of stuff in me. But it starts with me recognizing and understanding that I should imitate Christ in all that I do. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Just as we close out our service today, I'm just going to quickly pray for you. But before I pray for you, I just want to challenge you today. As we leave this place today, You don't just leave as somebody who goes to church. You don't leave this place as somebody who professes to just to be a Christian. Someone who just believes in God. You leave this place as a walking, breathing, living miracle of God. And Jesus wants to show you off to the world. He wants you to be his ambassador. To speak on his behalf to a lost and dying world. He wants to use you. And it starts with asking God. Let my heart start to beat with your heart. 
let my thoughts start to think with your thoughts. Let my mouth say the things that you would have my mouth to say. So I'm going to pray and if you know you're in this place today and maybe your life isn't an example for Christ then as we pray I believe that God is going to start to do a work in you if you open your heart up to God maybe you're in this place today and you have a lot of influence with co-workers or employers or employees or family family and friends and neighbors and you know that you are in the position to show the world Jesus Christ. Then pray with me today as I pray.